Uh, last week, we had a guest speaker, Pastor Ian. Uh, if you were here, you would have heard his message. He talked about uh, push starting your faith. And then one of the points he made was about receiving our faith. Our, our faith is not something that we need to work at or earn, right? It's just given to us as a gift. But even a gift, you must take it, right? There's still something you need to do is you need to take it and receive it and make use of it. And so th- just, just to be clear, this is not a pop quiz. There's no pressure. There's no judgment. But just to um, ask you guys a question, when we receive our faith in that moment, what is it? What are some of the things that we, we receive? What? You don't have to whisper. Anyone? Is this the food coma? <laughs> what? Good. I know. Everyone's like, I knew that. <laughs> I just said it. I thought it. Right? Yes. See, it's not a pop quiz. <laughs> they're, they're, right away, you receive salvation. Your sins are forgiven. Everything you've done, and in the Shanti video they mentioned, everything that you've done in the past, right, you've been forgiven and you're accepted and loved. Anything else? Okay. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll mention the things that I'm sure you guys are already thinking in your head. Okay? So some of the other things is um, you are born again, right? You are a new creation in that moment. Another one is, and this is a big one, is you receive the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells in you. You are now the temple, right? And the presence of the God is with you. And the last one, and really the one I'm trying to highlight in, in my sermon today, is the moment you profess Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, is you are adopted and you become a member of the family of God, right? It happens right away. And so that's why, you know, you call each other brothers and sisters. It's not just like a term of endearment, like, what's up, bro, (laughs) right? But you guys really are family members. You guys are brothers and sisters in the family of God. So if you would turn to your neighbor and just say, depending on if it's a brother or sister, say, hello, brother, hello, sister. Go ahead. (laughs) So I'm aware that was very awkward, but despite that awkwardness, that is your spiritual sibling, right? I think that's amazing. That's so cool. They are your family members. And so today, um, that's what I'm going to talk about. Each of these things that I just mentioned, they're life-changing things, but I really want to talk about what it means to be part of God's family. And the word I'm really going to be looking at is the word koinonia. Okay? If you would take a, just take a moment, would you just pray with me? Yes, Lord, we just uh, give thanks for this. Uh, What an amazing, just everything. This last week, you know, coming from Christmas, and then we fast, and then we're, we're into CNY Lunar New Year break, where we can just already be in the mode of enjoying our families and being able to rest and doing relationship, Lord. And we're just so grateful for this last week. And um, being able to eat again. (laughs) Thank you for food, Lord. But we acknowledge that just food is not enough, Lord. What we need is the food that, the spiritual food. We need you, Lord. So continue to draw us to you. Continue to cause us to have a hunger for you, Lord. And that you would feed us, Lord, and sustain us. Because we just confess we need you, Lord. So just come, uh, use this message and this time, Lord, to, to feed us and direct us and guide us. 
We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, koinonia. Can I just get a show of hands? Who has never heard of this word? Oh, okay. Never. Awesome. And I guess I'm presuming the rest who haven't lifted up their hands have. And so this word koinonia, it's a Greek word, right? It's a New Testament. It's in the New Testament. And it's usually translated as fellowship, right? So koinonia is fellowship. And this is a word, if you grew up in church in the 80s, in the 90s, this was a commonly used word, koinonia, fellowship. In fact, it was used basically in the context of all gatherings, right? If there was any sort of food, if you ate together and it was like a church thing, you called it food and fellowship, right? If there was any sort of uh, retreats or camps, it would be called Camp Koinonia. And even for myself, growing up, I remember the the time, uh, part of the, I guess, how do you say, the tradition is after service, you would uh, spend time in the foyer and there would be refreshments. And then, you know, you get a little cup and you put your, as a kid, you'd grab all the chips and you put in your cup. And um, that was just called fellowship time, right? And actually, what was interesting, I didn't even, I didn't even know what youth group was until I came to SP. When I grew up as a kid, the youth group was actually just called fellowship. So when I talked to my, you know, other friends, we'd be like, hey, are you going to fellowship? I didn't really know what it meant. To me, fellowship meant youth group. And then, of course, any sort of, like, sports, in, especially if you grew up in, like, North America, there's a lot of, like, church uh, leagues for basketball, volleyball, baseball, and all those would be called sports fellowship, right? Sounds very familiar, right? And so what exactly is this koinonia fellowship? Is it just any type of gatherings? You know, is going to a restaurant together is that koinonia? Is that fellowship? Right? You know, sometimes, actually, I don't remember when, but it was really striking for me. I remember seeing a family. It was a, a mother, father, and their two kind of like teenage uh, children, one son, one daughter. They were at a restaurant. I think it was at Cheesecake Factory. And the entire family, they sat down at their booth, and all of them were on their phones the whole time. No one talked to each other. They didn't talk to each other until the very end when they got the bill and everything, and they're like, hey, should we go? And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's, is this what family life can be, right, if we're not intentional and we just want to escape and be entertained by our phones, right? Is this koinonia? I mean, they're together. Or, you know, I know this, I don't know why this paints such a uh, touching picture, right? You know, people say like, oh, it's so beautiful when two old people, right, they're just sitting on their porch, drinking their tea, and they don't even have to talk. They're just so comfortable next to each other. Is that, like, I always thought, is that beautiful? Like, for me, when, like, I would hope, like, you know, with my wife when we're 80, we're still engaged in conversation. We're so excited to talk. To, we're looking at each other. I still can't get enough. I'm still learning, and I want to know how she feels and how she's doing spiritually. Wouldn't that be actually much more inspiring, right? But maybe it's because we just never see that. Let's just be real. But hopefully, that's what I'm hopeful for. So, yeah, is that koinonia? Or is playing basketball, any sports, when you play basketball together, is that koinonia? We, we have a, a basketball uh, uh, weekly Saturday b-ball. It's mostly SP people, but we have people from other churches and friends who join. Is that koinonia? Right? And something that we do after every basketball run is we eat. <laughs> is that koinonia? Right? And I just, I have a picture Ah, and so this is one of uh, the teams 
that I played for with SP. It was with Pro Health. And after we play a game, we go to McDonald's. And these games are late. They're like at 10 p.m. And afterwards, the only thing that's open is McDonald's. And then we sit on the streets of Shangwan, surrounded by cockroaches, and we eat McDonald's, basically. Or, next slide. Ah, I know, this is a weird photo, if you notice what's in the background. So in this photo, something we do every Saturday is, is, is so peculiar. Basically, we, we have a bunch of sweaty guys, and we go for nice, Instagram-worthy picture brunch. And so this is one of the places, I don't know how we ended up here, but it was an anime cafe. And so if you can't see, on the pillows and the cushions and the posters, they are made anime characters. It was very peculiar. And I just want to say, I'm not the only one in the picture. If you look in the back, that's John Koshi taking the photo. And to the left, that is Terry smiling and giving peace signs, right? Or, and this is just last week. Ah, and this was just uh, yesterday, right? And so we, we finally settled on our spots. And so every week we go to the same cafe. It's an Australian-run, like, little cafe, privately owned. It's called Zomato. And they have amazing brunch. And every week we go here and we just chat and share. And let me just show off some food. Next, ah, this is pulled pork waffle with a poached egg on top. Next. This is avo toast with a poached egg and some, uh, I think it's some sort of nut and feta, the ricotta, I don't know. Anyway, so is this koinonia? Is that koinonia? Even right now, as you're sitting here together, listen, listening to me talk about koinonia, is this koinonia? Or is it something more? Is it worshiping together? Is it just sitting here listening? Is it ministering to one another at the end of service? Like, what exactly makes it koinonia? I think from what I shared, and maybe through your personal experiences, you probably know koinonia is more than just being together, right? The NIVR, it's one of the Bible translations, the word koinonia or fellowship, it's actually translated as doing life together. But how about just hanging out with your non-Christian friends, your high school friends, your colleagues, right? Your, I don't know, Lang Kwai Fong buddies, right? It, just because you're doing life together, is that koinonia? Koinonia is more than just hanging out. More than just hanging out. The word koinonia, it shows up in 18 verses in the New Testament. And so I just want to highlight two verses that make use of the, the, the word koinonia twice in the passage. And hopefully it gives us a better idea of what exactly it is. And um, I've replaced, okay, in this first one, in 1 Corinthians 10.16, I've replaced the word communion with the word koinonia because that's the original in the Greek translation. So it says, the cup of blessing, which we bless, and so it's talking about doing communion together, what we commonly know, the wafer and the, the grape juice. Is it not the koinonia of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the koinonia of the body of Christ? And so it mentions koinonia in two contexts. The first is, when we do this act of communion, we're doing it, blood of Christ, Jesus. And then is it also not koinonia when we do it with the body? So it's Jesus and the body, us. The second one, 1 John 1 to 3, it talks about the word that I'm replacing with is the word fellowship with koinonia. And it says, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. This is the good news they're talking about. So that you too may have koinonia with us, and indeed our koinonia is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you notice in both verses, it mentions koinonia in the context 
with God and the body of Christ. I'm going to read this. This is um, from a theologian. His name is John Stott. And this is what he has to say. And I think this really brings a lot of clarity. He says, that's the Greek word koinonia. It comes from the adjective koinos. That means common. Koinonia bears witness to what we have in common and what we share as Christian men and women and young people. It bears witness to two complementary truths. First, Koinonia expresses what we share in together, what we have received together, what we participate in together. That is the grace of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle John, at the beginning of his first letter, says, Our fellowship, koinonia, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. But koinonia also bears witness to what we share outward together. Not only what we receive together, but, with, but what we give together. Koinonia is the word that Paul uses of the collection that he was organizing from the Greek churches for the benefit of the poverty-stricken churches in Judea. And koinonikos, the adjective, means generous. So in the first paragraph, it's defined, koinonia, as what is shared in common as the basis of fellowship. And so what is that shared thing in common? It's God. God is what we're sharing in common. And so here is kind of the breakdown of the definition. Our koinonia koinonia with each other is based on our koinonia with God. I'll read it one more time. Our koinonia with each other is based on our koinonia with God. And so basically... Whatever we receive and experience in our koinonia with God, we give and extend and experience with each other. God is the source. Why is this so important? Why am I talking about koinonia right now? It's because, you know, things are changing now. You know, for the last two, three years, it was very difficult to experience fellowship koinonia relationship. Right? Online, it's, it's not conducive for relationship, right? And now things are opening up. Now we have, a, you know, our celebration banquet, and I hope everyone can make it. It's something that we can experience together and celebrate together, right? And it's really, like, who are we celebrating? God, and his faithfulness. And this is an experience that's going to bring us together, have a common thread in which we share together. And then we have the, the retreat, SP retreat coming in May, right? There's all these opportunities to come together in Koinonia in fellowship, but it's more than just spending time together, right? There's more to it. And so why am I sharing this? Is because I really want us to be intentional, with, with what, what we're going to do. And so today, uh, I just have three simple points. Each point is a quality we should strive for in koinonia with each other. And I'm also going to parallel these points with how we've experienced this koinonia uh, aspect with God as well. And so the inspiration I'm drawing from, it's from Romans 12, starting at verse 9. And this whole, from verse 9 to the end of the passage, it it talks about basically Christian, how Christians should behave and act in relationship, how to love. And uh, there's so much to it, but I'm just going to go through verse 9 and 10, right? And I just thought, even just from those two verses, the three points that came out of it were really good. Okay, so Romans 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. So point one, what do we strive for in koinonia? Sincerity and vulnerability. Why am I talking about vulnerability? Why did I add that? Because in order to be sincere, we need to be willing to be vulnerable. 
In the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right, they were members of the church, and they are infamous because it was a special and beautiful moment where everyone in the church, they were just giving all that they had and offering it to the church. And when it came about that it was their turn to give, they basically, um, instead of, they lied, right? They, they claimed to give all that they had, but they're only giving a portion. Who knows how much? 50, 70, 80%. I don't know. And so what was the real sin? The sin that they committed was deception. Deception, the opposite of sincerity, right? And this deception really broke what was going on at that moment, something that was so pure, that really brought unity. Instead, they brought deception. And so what should Ananias and Sapphira, what should they have done? What should they have done instead? Should they have just given 100% instead? Would that, would, have, would that have resolved the situation? No. Because in 2 Corinthians 9-7, this is a GIC verse. I'm not sure how many of you would remember because it's towards the end of GIC. It says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. So the issue wasn't that they didn't give 100%, right? In fact, if they wanted to give 80, give 50, that would have been fine. And if they gave that joyfully, like to the Lord, that would have been great. So the issue isn't that. The issue is, I think they weren't willing to be vulnerable. They were worried about what other people would think, right? If they gave 80%, people, they were like, oh, man, if we only give 80% and everyone is giving 100%, what are they going to think? They're going to think we're cheap. We're frugal. Everyone else is so generous. How about look at it? They're, they're so cheap. They're only giving 80%. It was a moment where they had to be, they had a choice. Should I be vulnerable and just be real because I'm not ready to give 100%, but God is okay with that? But instead, what did they do? They were deceptive. They were not sincere. It is very important that we are willing to be vulnerable. Being vulnerable is very different from being open. Right, because you know sometimes I hear like people who are saying, sharing a lot about their lives and talking about all these things in their past. They're like, oh wow, they're so vulnerable. They're not vulnerable. They're very open, because they've already dealt with those things, right? They've already resolved those things in their life, and they're comfortable with it, and so they're just sharing. Being vulnerable is sharing and revealing those things that are unresolved. It's sharing those things where you know. Right now, the things you fear, the insecurities you have, the doubts you have, the sin you might be walking in, the temptations you're feeling, and it's risky to share those things because it shows our weakness. We don't want to skew people's minds of the way they perceive us, that we're so, you know, we're we're good, right? And oftentimes you ask people, oh, how are you doing? And they're like, I'm good. (laughs) If that's all they say, there's probably more to it right? If you're really good, you probably have more to say. (laughs) But you just say, oh, I'm good, right? But it's very important for us to be vulnerable. Because being vulnerable allows people to know your genuine, sincere self. To not be vulnerable robs people with the privilege to really know your genuine self. Right? People don't get to know the real you if you're not vulnerable. Thus, being vulnerable or sincere means truly being who you are. Truly being who you are. And so don't think, oh, it's not like, hopefully everyone's doing this. Right? Everyone's being vulnerable and we can respond in love towards one another. Right? And so, 
as I talk about us being vulnerable with each other, how have we experienced this vulnerability with God? Because again, God is the source, right? How do we have our vulnerability is the experience we had with God. Think about it. God, Jesus, he died for us while we were sinners. That's risky, right? That's like investing in something where you already know they're going to lose money. You're going to invest when you know you're going to make money, right? And so they're investing in someone who's already currently still sinning. The likeliness is they're going to keep on sinning. And that's exactly the case, right? In the YWAM video with Shanti, like um, uh, one of the people who were sharing, he said, oh, you know, Jesus, you know, he loves and accepts me for who I am and all the things that have happened in the past. That's true. But he also does that with all the things that you've done, have been doing in the present and in the future as well. How many times have we lost faith and thought the worst of God? How many times have we ignored God? How many times have you not listened and did whatever you wanted? How many times have you taken God for granted? Right? And if we were, if he, were, if he was like us, and instead of being vulnerable and defensive, how would he, how would he respond? He'd say, well, he'd do something like, and this is what we do, like, it's okay, I don't care. You do you, I'll do me. And the wise thing for him to do would be to close his heart, right, so that he's not going to be set up to be hurt over and over and over again. But that's not what God did because that's not who he is. Who is he? He's our creator. He loves us. And even though we hurt him and ignore him and take him for granted, he misses us. He loves us. He desires us. Right? I mean, and I'm sure we've experienced it. Have we ever experienced God condemning and saying, I've had enough of you? Right? It's, it's just like the song we just sang. Right? The prodigals come home. He's, I miss you. Come back home. Come back home. And so just as we have received this grace and God being so vulnerable and real and honest with us, we can do the same with others. Amen? Okay, number two. This is uh, Romans 12, verse 10. It says, Be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted. What am I talking about when I talk about being devoted? Number two is commitment. Commitment. The Acts Church How committed were they? How devoted were they? They met every single day, breaking bread, eating together, sharing all they had. And so I'm not sure if you guys know, but as a house church member, if you're part of house church, there's only two expectations. The first is you attend house church every week. And the second expectation is you attend church every week. And I know sometimes, like, some of the feedback we've gotten, it's like, oh, that's so intense. That's such a big commitment. We have to attend house church every week, right? And even I, at least for my house church, what I've shared is, and the expectation is you attend house church every week, even if you're tired, even if you don't feel like it, right? The expectation is you still come. Because house church isn't just about what you get out of it. I mean, that's part of it, receiving, But in order for you to receive, you need to also be able to be there so other people can receive, right? You don't, it's, you need to be consistent and committed so that you can be there for people in need. And you never know until you be there consistently. And then one of the things at the beginning of every house church season in September, as we kind of like follow the school calendar, we ask people, what do you want from house church this season? We ask all the members, what do you want? What do you want from this group? What do you hope for? And every year, it's the same thing for the most part. People say, oh, I want to go deeper in relationship with each other. I don't know. There's a 
Google ad. Um, they say they want to go deeper in relationship. They want to build more trust. They want to grow in vulnerability with each other. They want accountability. They want to walk with each other, keep each other accountable. They want iron sharpens iron, right? They want to grow deeper, have better relationship. But you know, in order for that to happen, there needs to be consistency and commitment, right? How do you expect to build trust with each other if, you, if, if, if you're not there with each other? How do you become more vulnerable if you haven't built trust? They're all connected, right? Like vulnerability kind of grows as the trust grows. In order to build trust, you need to know people are reliable, consistent, that they're there, right? It's really no different from a dating relationship, right? When I hear of new couples and they're dating, no, you know, I first ask, oh, how'd you meet? They share. And then I share, oh, like, um, I don't know, how long have you been dating for? And they'll share the duration. And then I says, oh, like, do you guys spend a lot of time together, right? And usually it's like, oh, yeah, we've act- even actually before we started dating or like, well, we were like on the phone with each other every day. We see each other every day. And I remember that, right, when I was dating and pursuing my, my wife. We, we actually like saw each other every night after work and we were up to like 2 or 3 in the morning talking on the bench outside of her home, right? It was so tiring. <laughs> but for some reason, we did it, right? But we were crazy about each other. Couldn't get enough of each other. But it was so tiring. But what if I were to ask somebody, like, oh, do you guys talk a lot? And they're like, oh, yeah, we, we actually talk, like, once a week. I'd be like, oh. It, like, in my head, I'd be like, oh, okay. They, they must not actually be that close, Right? So it's no different. And really, when we're talking about uh, this attending house church every week, coming to Sunday service every week, you know, it's really, that's the minimum, right? If, 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 you're, if you want to build a relationship, once a week is not really enough, right? To really build, I mean, especially as a house church leader, we're hoping for so much more. That that once a week is just the minimum. We're setting a foundation where we can just be consistent and there for each other. But the hope is, you know, you would do that even outside of house church. On Sunday after service, you would have lunch together, right? Or during the week, or even though, especially with WhatsApp, right? Like if you're going through things, you would share that with each, with each other and, and really be more relation, relational. That commitment is key for our koinonia with each other. So what have we received from God? What kind of commitment has he given us that we've experienced koinonia? I mean, we, I talked about this at the very beginning, right? But I would say, you know what's a big commitment to us? Him giving us his presence, the Holy Spirit. We haven't earned anything, again, our faith. We haven't earned anything. We haven't done anything to prove ourselves. And yet, he gives us his presence, his Holy Spirit, to dwell in us. And then scripture also says, he will never forsake us or leave us. That's commitment, <laughs> right? At least in house church, usually like, you know, people know that how to act and fit in and play their part so they're good. But, you know, we're not, clearly we don't meet God's expectations, and yet he is committed to us. And I'm sure for many of us, even just outside of Scripture, we've had our experience with God, right? That he's there for us. He doesn't give up on us. We know that our life is in his hands and he is in control. That is commitment. And, just as we, and so as we receive and experience that type of commitment in our koinonia with God and gives us a lot of assurance, we should extend the same to others. And finally, the last point. At the end of verse 10 in Romans 12, it says, Honor one another above yourselves. 
And so number three, what is number three? The third quality is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. We're asked to put each other's well-being ahead of ourselves. Sacrifice. Right? The, the Acts Church, they were generous, right? But even generosity, it comes at a cost, right? You need to sacrifice something to meet other people's needs. You need to sacrifice your time, your talents, your money, your emotions, all these things you need to sacrifice. And I know sacrifice, I think we inherently know it's important, but we don't love it, right? Let's just be real. Let let me be vulnerable. There's a part of me that would prefer to receive people's sacrifice more than offer sacrifice. Like, we love to receive. We love to receive. And, and, you know, it's, it's a great feeling to receive, receive gifts, but there's something about sacrificing and serving each other that is just meaningful. Right? It feels meaningful. Why? I haven't been able to exactly work it out, but I imagine it has something to do with the fact that we were made in the image of God. And so that just as Jesus sacrificed, right, and I'm sure what he did gave him such meaningfulness and purpose that when we also do the same, even though our flesh, that's not what we want, it's meaningful. Any relationship requires sacrifice. I learned this when I got married, right? I love being single. I miss it. <laughs> you know why? And this, I'll just tell you why. And even as I say it, it sounds amazing, right? When you're single, you can do what you want whenever you want. Glorious, right? And then when I got married, I realized that's no longer the case. I remember we had a trip to go somewhere, and um, I think at that time we were engaged, and um, it was someone's wedding, and I, like, kind of messaged Janie. I was like, uh, hey, just so you know, I already booked my ticket. Here's the information, uh, so you should book it too. <laughs> and then she's like, hey, just so you know, it's, it would be nice if we actually did it together. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> right? It starts to change especially if you live together. Even when you eat, before I could eat when I want, when, eat what I want whenever I wanted. And now, I have to talk to my spouse. And oftentimes, I list the things in order of what I want to eat, and she starts to veto, nope, nope, that's not what I want, that's not what I want. And I go, what do you want then? I don't know, whatever. And I just keep going down the list until she's like, ah, okay. And so I had to sacrifice basically what I really wanted to get to a place where it's something we both wanted. And then, children. <laughs> Sleeping and resting when you're tired, forget it, <laughs> right? I think that's the thing I miss the most, right? I go home after I like, you know, play basketball because it's at 7 to 9. I, I remember just go home, just, you know, you just hang out, have McDonald's, and you just make your way home, and then you just sleep, and you don't even set an alarm, right? Now I go home, and it's time to spend time with my kids who are super hyper. I'm super tired, but that's my responsibility, right? It's a sacrifice, especially newborns, right? You, before you have kids, you're like, oh, it's going to be so cute, you know, holding that baby, <laughs> right? And then it's just all sacrifice. <laughs> when they're awake, you're awake, right? You want to sleep, forget about it. And then you have two spouses who both need sleep. So who's the one who gets to sleep while the other one gets to, like, basically be awake with the kid, Right? sacrifice, right? But this is what relationship requires, sacrifice. Even church, this service, it took a lot of sacrifice. In the first service, in order for the parents to enjoy the service, it required a lot of teachers, SP Kid teachers, to take the time 
and sacrifice time to basically take care of the kids. The, the worship team, right, they had to come here in the morning. I know some of you struggled to get here at 11.30. They had to get here way earlier at 7 or 8, and they had to practice so that the worship would be ready. Even your house church leaders, they have to sacrifice. You know, sometimes as house church leaders, you know, people come and, you know, we, and we want to be very understanding and compassionate. And people share, oh, I don't think I can come to house church this week because I have this, 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 that. And you know what the house church leaders are thinking? They're jealous. <laughs> They're like, oh, man, that would be nice if I had even a choice they have no choice, right? It doesn't matter how busy they are at work, how much work they have piled up. It doesn't matter how sleepy they are, if they feel like it or not. It doesn't matter if there's a birthday or this or that. As the leader, they have to prioritize coming to house church and be there on time. They need to set an example. Because what would, how would you feel if the house church leader is just flaky and comes whenever they feel like it. It probably would not be a house church that you would want to be a part of, right? And so the house church leaders, they sacrifice. And really, the whole community should be sacrificing, right? I'm just listing some people who are sacrificing. All of us need to sacrifice. Instead of how it works is you can either the world, everyone's focused on what their needs are and they're trying to have those needs met, or you can be the opposite. We're focused on meeting each other's needs, right? Instead of being so self-centered, we can love one another. But what have we received from God in this area of koinonia, sacrifice? I mean, Jesus demonstrated with his life, and he taught his disciples he did not come to be served, but he came to serve. He, reveal, he revealed himself as the suffering servant to the extent he gave his own life and sacrifice to us. And so as we receive and experience that sacrifice, we should do the same for each other. I want to invite the worship team up. And just to re- recap the three qualities of koinonia, sincerity and vulnerability Commitment and sacrifice. I don't know where the worship team went. <laughs> I'm sure they're really praying for uh, the worship. <laughs> ah, there they are. Okay. But I just want to highlight again our koinonia with each other is based on our koinonia with God. It's critical that we understand as we live out these qualities, it is because of what we have received from God. Because if you don't have that revelation, if you are not experiencing it, right, then you're demonstrating these qualities because you think it's a good thing. And they are good, right? If you're going to be generous, if you're going to be sacrificial, vulnerable, if you're going to be committed, those are good things. But if it is just your own standard of righteousness, what's going to happen? When people don't meet that expectation, you're going to be bitter. You're going to feel they're taking you for granted. A seed of offense is going to fester in your heart. You're going to say, oh, they're flaky. That person's flaky in house church. They're late all the time. Oh, if they're, they're like that, then, you know, well, you can close your heart towards them. You can be judgmental towards them. You're not going to be kind to them. Or you're going to feel like it's in your right to do the same thing. And so that's why it is so important that our koinonia that we experience with each other and the qualities that we live out, they must flow from our experience with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, today we're going to do something a little different. Usually we end with ministry time. 
right? Where we pray together and minister to one another. And so today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to end with koinonia time. And so I know oftentimes at the end of service, we just want to rush out and get to our next thing, right? And that's why I'm, I'm keeping this sermon a little shorter so that we have a little bit more time after service. And so please, please stick around after service. Just be in the foyer. Again, Pastor Navarro, he shared we've got free coffee, free mocha, and free hot chocolate, and... We have refreshments outside for the first time. I know. Food and refreshments. Wow, you guys are really excited. <laughs> Should I be worried? <laughs> Food. <laughs> and so please stick around, right? Let's take, don't be in a rush. Take the time to, to fellowship, to care for one another. Right, sacrifice your time, be present, be committed. And if there's opportunities, you know, you can to connect and, you know, arrange uh, a meetup. Like, hey, we should grab lunch next week. Oh, I'd love to have your family over. Or even if you, as you share, and people are vulnerable and share their needs, you can pray, right? You don't have to only pray during ministry time. You can pray. Come back into the sanctuary, pray for each other. Amen? All right. So just as I said, uh, it needs to start with our koinonia with the Lord. And so if we could just rise to our feet, let's worship. Let's partake in worship where we're connecting with the Lord, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And yet be very aware that as you're lifting up God's name, making a declaration of his goodness. You have brothers and sisters around you who share the same father, good, good father. And you're just celebrating and experiencing that together. And then I'll close and we can uh, just fellowship outside, okay? Go ahead, Wes.
With a kiss, with a ring, yeah. 